Welcome to our weekly, and we mean weekly Wednesday night shear. I guess there's not much more to say, as we have finished Kadeshim. Kadesh was finished for many of the people we had on our list, Baruch Hashem. It should all be good to betters. We have still Nassim ben Yasef. We have Baruch ben Chaim. We have Saida bas Menashe ben Menashe. It should all be good to betters for their family. Shabbos. This Shabbos is Parshas Vayetze. Shabbos also Tes Kislev. The birth and the Stalkus of the Middle Rebbe. The second Lubavitch Rebbe. Also on Sunday, Yud Kislev is the day that he was let out of prison. Which he was imprisoned for his drive to help Yiddishkeit. To help Judaism. And of course today more than ever that shows that brings back all the memories and tells us how proud we need to be, how we need to stand up to the anti-Semitic, the hate crimes. And how we need to daven for the Geula Mitzvah Vashlema, for the ultimate redemption this week, yesterday actually was a court case about the Svarim of the library of the previous Rebbe, Friedrich Rebbe, that is still in Russia. And we are anticipating, Rehat Hashem, that this will all be released, and the Rebbe said, once they come, Mashiach comes with them. Sorry, it's for all those that are so very involved. Shem should bless them. Shem should fulfill their heart's desires and bless their endeavors so that we, Yetz Hashem, will see the ultimate results which we've been waiting and anticipating. Today is Baruch Hashem, also the third birthday of my grandson. Shmazel Tov to his parents, to him, and to our whole extended family, Baruch Hashem. And all other birthdays, and all other wishes, and also again, Shemale Hashem, Kom Shalos Libam, Teva Vavraka. They should be blessed. Darichas Siyam Veshanim. Gizun Tehet, Freyla Kehet, with Nachas, with Freyd. Very, very, very packed Parsha. Parsha of the Teda is not a story. Bifrat, especially when it comes to Chumash Bereshis. Which, as we said, the first Rashi, Omer of Yitzchok, We didn't need all these stories, because the first Mitzvah, which only appears 
in Chumash Shemais in Pasha's Bay. Elamai, but what is it then? It is the ultimate lessons, messages, and lifelong lessons that we get from our forefathers and from all our ancestors, from the Shvatim, etc., on how we have to lead and lead and, and act and practice our lives. Yaakov was sitting in Be'er And we heard last week the episode of Yaakov and Esau. Not very positive results, as we know. And Yaakov needs to leave town. Through the instructions of his mother, he goes to her relatives and there too to look for a wife. He leaves Be'eshava and he goes towards Choron. Now, the technical term, of course, Vayelech El Choron. He went to Choron. Why Vayelech Chorono? Also, Rashi's question, Vayetze Yakim Bebeshava. Why tell us the whole history here? Why doesn't it suffice that Vayelech Yakim? And Rashi says, when a tzaddik comes and a tzaddik leaves his town, it is like the sun rising and setting on that town. The sun leaves and the sun returns. And so too, when the tzaddik leaves the town, it is an effect directly on that town. So Yaakov's departure, although he leaves Yitzchak, his father, there, his departure caused tremendous effect on Be'er And he travels to Chorono. He is now going out on an endeavor to conquer the severity of the world. He wasn't just going out of his house. It's not like when Avram is told, Lech lecho me'artzecho me'lartzecho me'savicho, tu ha'oretz ha'shererecho. Rather it is actually going out to the very, very severe place. One that has no, re- no re- resemblance of his home, which ultimately, of course, is not beneficial spiritually, nor physically, and definitely not mentally. Yaakov goes out, and of course, HaKadosh Baruch Hu performs the miracle of Kvitsa Saderach, of the land going quickly under his feet, and also conform, performs another miracle of the sun setting suddenly. What may say, we learn from Avram Avinu when he goes out, it says Vayash game. Avram Babeke, he wakes up early in the morning and sets out on his journey. And here just is Vayetze Yaakov Meshava, almost sounding as if he tardied. Welcome, Atlanta. Almost as if Yaakov tardied on his departure from Be'er Shava. Vayetze does not say Vayash came, he got up early in the morning. So, therefore, when suddenly he finds the sun setting on him, 
And Vayifga Gabamokoim, he suddenly stops to set up tent. He stops to set up camp. But more so, he stops to daven. Avram, we know, established Shachris. Yitzchok Mincha and Yaakov Maidiv. And therefore, by Yivka he's davening Maidiv. Wow, what happened to his day? Lest we say that he left very late, and all of a sudden it became night, no. HaKadosh Baruch performs a miracle that he arrive on this holy place, on Harabayas. And there he decides to daven Maidiv because his sun had set and wanted to travel at night. His wound did not travel at night. And the sun is now set, therefore he needed to settle down. And he does something very interesting. He sets up stones around his head, which we're hopefully going to discuss later, to protect his head, not his whole body, but only his head. And he sets, he goes to sleep. Incoming. And he goes to sleep. Slowly. <laughs> Judging that he was an answer cell, he probably called it Arvid. When he davened, he said, I'm out of it. He didn't say, I'm out of it. Oh, and he falls asleep and has a dream. A profound dream at that. Vayachaloim, the Torah, tells us about his dream. Vine Sulam Mutsav Arzo. A ladder was pitted in the ground. And its head, the top of the ladder, reaches all the way up to heaven. And angels, godly angels, are going up and down the ladder. Needless to say, first question that begs to ask, is that they were angels, they were in heaven. So what direction on the ladder are they going first? They're going down, not up. But yet the Pasuk says, They're going up and then they're going down. So Rashi, of course, takes pity on the Benchamash, the Mikra, who probably won't sleep at night with this question. And he says, They went up first, and then they came down. Why so? Because the angels, Malachim, Shalivu, Be'eretz, Be'eretz, the angels that accompanied him in the Holy Land did not leave Chutzlaretz. They did not leave out of the land. So therefore, they went up to heaven. And now there was a special set of Malachim that were designated for Chutzlaretz for outside of the Holy Land. And they now were coming down to escort him. So first, obviously, the ones that were with him in Israel and reached to this border went up. And the other ones came down. So we see now in that case that the angels that accompanied him in Israel 
did not go out of Ein Yitzin Chutzlores. They did not go out of Eretz Yisrael. This is the words of Rashi, chapter twenty-eight, verse twelve. Why is that? Because they are connected with the kedusha, the sanctity, and the greatness of Eretz Yisrael, the Holy Land. And therefore, angels that are from the Holy Land cannot leave. And in the Sefer, the Pirish Alatela, in the Feitear, he writes, Ein lahem reshus They just don't have permission to leave the Chutzlaret. Now, the source, therefore, of this Medrash. Brings down and it says as follows: Malachim sheim alavim etzadim beretz Yisrael, angels that accompany people in Eretz Yisrael, ein malavim esir bechutz laretz do not accompany him on the outside of Eretz Yisrael. But Rashi puts in a much stronger tense, and Rashi says, ein yeitzim chutz laretz klau. They cannot go out of the Chutzlaretz. They cannot go into Chutzlaretz. Out of Israel. So we find, therefore, this is in the, in the realm of the Halacha Lemaisa. The actual law. The actual Halacha. That we find that it's prohibited to leave Eretz Israel to Chutzlaretz except for certain permissibilities. Certain things that you can, leeways that you can get permission to leave at the soul. And several different commentaries paskin and learn that the leaving of at the soul, the prohibition of leaving at the soul, is not only because you're now depriving yourself from the mitzvahs that are dependent only on Eretz Yisrael, certain mitzvahs you can only do in the Holy Land, but because of the actual sanctity of the land. It's a a desecration to the sanctity. And this therefore applies to angels as well. Still we have to look into this. Because according to Rashi, where he explains on the Teda, that the time of the Avais, in the time of our forefathers, the sanctity of Eretzisrael was not yet existent. However, we know that our forefathers completed and did everything in the Teda that we spoke about before until Nitna. Even the decrees of the sages still in all we don't find that they were hesitant of leaving Yerushalayim. Only in last week's Parsha where it talks about clearly with Yitzchak that when he had it off Ba'aret, there was a hunger in the land. And the Pasik says, How he had he considered going down to Egypt. It's not just the vacation that he was leaving at Israel. It was dire circumstances. But Omale Akadish Barakhu the Ibanish the Rabbanish tells him Ata Ayla Timima You are an Ayla Timima, you were brought as a sacrifice on the altar. And therefore the Ain Khutzlaritz Kidailacho. Chutz is not befitting for you. 
So we see, therefore, the fact that our forefathers were not so stringent about not leaving Eretz Yisrael, and therefore was only mentioned to Yitzchak being an Eilat Tmima. But the fact is that we perhaps could get this out of Yitzchak's mind because there was a famine in the land. And therefore, he was permitted to actually go down to Egypt to get food, according to Allah. But this Allah itself finishes off and says, the Af Alpi, even though Shemutir Lot says it's permissible to leave. Eina midas chsidus. It's not a chsidus shemida, and then the chsidus shemida is always, as we call them, the finim meshuras hadin, a step above the actual law. And we know that the Torah tells us, the Shachanah tells us, machlin and chilyin were two G'dayli Hadar, and because of tremendous oppression and, pray and problems, issues, they were forced to leave. One was sentenced to go to a, we read in Megillus Rus, he was captured and he was put in a prison, even though they had a heter, it was permissible for them to leave. Because of the hunger or whatever it was, this is considered a pagum until an einishach, it's a flaw, punishable. Just to take note, I'm not selling the book, so it's not the advertisement, there's a set of books called Yerushalayim Shalmaila. It's in many different languages. In English it's called Jerusalem, the Heavenly City. Highly recommended reading. Especially on this particular subject where you see what people lived for, with. How they were deprived. The poverty but yet, the severity and the holiness, the vulnerability of these people staying in the Holy Land, staying in Yerushalayim, with literally nothing to eat, no medicines, no anything, but they would not leave the walls of Yerushalayim. And so too with others that stayed in other parts of Israel. But Yerushalayim Shamayla, Jerusalem, the heavenly city, it was four or five volumes, very, very highly recommended to be read. I don't know if it's on Amazon, I don't know if it's a local bookstores. I'm not advertising it. So therefore, if we're saying that our forefathers were not so careful with this prohibition of leaving it so it's not acceptable to think that Yitzchak considered using this loophole or this heter of the fact that there was a famine when it's a heter only of such a severity there are many things that we do mitzvahs and times that we find a special heter permission to be able to do something Although it's not ideal, 
It's not what should be happening. It's not what we should be doing. But because of a certain loophole, it's allowed. We're given a certain allowance for it. This too, the loophole of leaving it itself, although it was real, but our forefather Yitzchak would not take advantage of such a thing. And therefore we need to say that in the time of our forefathers, the prohibition of leaving it itself was not in effect. Fats itself still was not sanctified. And therefore Yitzchak, the same Avram and Yaakov, did not see the flaw or the problem actually going out when need be to Chutzlaretz. So this actual essence, this foundation, that at the time of the forefathers, it still was not sanctified, the Holy Land. We see this actually in several places where Rashi actually elaborates on this. For example, in our parsha itself, in chapter 31, Verse 3, Yaakov, who was at the time in the house of Lovan, return to the land of your forefathers and your birthplace. And, I will be with you. A stipulation. Rashi explains what is the stipulation. And only show me, only there I'll be with you. Because as long as you're attached to the impurities of the house of Lovon, the Shechina cannot rest on you. Wow. Now a new twist. Leave your place of Chutzlaretz and go back to Eretz Yisrael so that I may attach myself to you, but not because Eretz Yisrael houses the sanctity, but rather the place where you are found, the people amongst you are living, are impure. So therefore, to detach yourself from this love and harami, and we find by Avram, when he was in that cell itself, he was also lacking the resting of the Shechina upon him as long as the wicked person was with him. Light. So it has nothing to do actually with the Shechina resting upon him because of the Holy Land, or the holiness of the Holy Land, but rather because of his neighbor who is depriving him, who is refra- God is refraining from resting upon him because of it. So now, when Yaakov turns to Yosef, tells Yosef, make sure I'm not buried in Egypt. Make sure I'm buried in Maris Al Nasik Bereni Bimitsaim, he says later in chapter 47, verse 
Rashi is not putting this request on Kedusha's Eretzisrael, but he brings other reasons. What was Yaakov's essence? What was Yaakov's essence? Of why he did not why he did not want to be buried in Egypt, but rather be buried in Israel, was a whole different point. The fact that at the end, the land of Egypt is going to be infested. The fact that in the end, people that are buried in Chutzlaretz. They don't have peace. The fact they have to roll to go through the tunnels to get back to Israel to stand up. And most importantly, he was concerned that the Egyptians shouldn't decide to make his tomb a Vedizara. So therefore we see the Malachas HaKedish also explained on Ashri. And our parsha, the mere fact that the angels accompanied Yaakov in Eretz and he writes, "Kaimalon the Ein Eretz Yisrael Mishgachas Ayidei Malach Elo Ayodei Isbarich." It's not as if the angels protect or rule over the Holy Land. It's ruled by God Himself. As it says, The land, God, your God, rules it. But still in all, after the land was conquered, and after the Besamikdash was built, then the Kedusha became Chal, then the Kedusha became, became in effect. But right now, there wasn't so much Kedusha more than Chutzlaretz. And it was supervised by the angels. Let us go back a little bit. It says, Angels of Israel do not go from out of Israel because of its holiness. Because angels are not compared to our forefathers. And the explanation to this is as is explained at the time of the Ovis, the holy the sanctity of the land was not yet in effect. What is the intention here? That the land itself did not become holy. The land itself did not become holy. And there was no established sanctity in the chefts of the land, physical land. And therefore, when it came to our forefathers that were in the Etzisrael, the Mata, here down on this four cubits on the, land, the physical land, there was no prohibition of leaving to Gutzalitz. 
only later when the Jews conquered the land. However, the essence always was of Eretz Yisrael, Nachlas Hashem Yuchedes Hashmei. An inheritance to God, especially in His name. And therefore, this Sula Mutzavartz of Reish Megia this ladder that was planted in the land, in the ground, and the head reached to the heavens, this was already from the time of Yaakov. And this is the very place of the Beis Hamikdash. Just as the Beis Hamikdash Shalmaila coincides with the Beis Hamikdash Shalmata. The Holy Temple of above is parallel to the Holy Temple of below in this world. Same way also as Israel Shalmaila is is parallel to Yisrael Lamata. Sorry, I could not get up to open the door. Rather, this is not a physical Kedusha that took place. And therefore, when it comes to the part of heavenly part, the holiness, the sanctity of Eretz Yisrael, that always actually, in essence, existed. In the time of our forefathers, it wasn't revealed yet on this world. Only in Eretz Yisrael Shemaila did it reveal. So therefore, by the angels, who are Hamene Maila, their dwellers of above, they felt always the Kedusha. Even the time of our forefathers. And therefore they had the prohibition not to leave as Israel. Because of the sanctity. Now we need to just finish off with on this particular point. What Akadish Baruch says to Yitzchak. You are an Tmima and Chutzlaretz is not befitting for you. By Avram and Yaakov it was not Shaykh this Isr of leaving from the land. Because the Chal of Kedusha that's Israel Lamata did not happen yet. But since Ata Eila you Yitzchak are an Eila a Karmen Lashem a sacrifice to God, and you raise up, you rise up higher and higher, your madrega, your level, is not befitting outside of Eretz Yisrael. You can feel the difference in Eretz Yisrael. Similarly to the Hamene Maila, the Malachim. And therefore, even the Mata here in Eretz Yisrael, we don't know when we do something what the ripple effect of it is. So whereas Avram and Yaakov left the Holy Land for Yitzchak to leave was not acceptable. They tell a story of a woman, a poor woman, who had a very beautiful custom. Every day she baked four loaves of bread. Three she gave away for charity to poor people that had nothing else, that had less than her. And one she kept for her family. One day she baked her four loaves and she gave three out and as she was about to serve her family a pauper comes to the door. He said, please, 
I haven't eaten in days. Please, please tell me that you have something for me to eat. And so she handed him the fourth loaf of bread. She went to the cabinet and took out the grains that she had and she put them in a bag and a sack and she carried them to the mill and had it ground to flour because now she needed to bake bread for her children. But as she was walking with this sack of flour along the seaside, a very strong wind came and tore the sack from her shoulder and sent it out into the sea. She was devastated. I mean, devastated is not even the word. She burst out crying. I said, I don't understand. I do this mitzvah in Ammonis. I do this mitzvah full-heartedly. And I give every day people to eat. And today I gave away my children's portions with no intention of getting rewarded for it or anything. I rather went and I went to make more flowers so I could bake more, more challah, more bread for my own children. And you take this flower, you tear it from my hand, and you send it out to sea. Somebody please mute your mic. What will they eat? Why do they deserve to be punished? Give me from the mailboxes money there. And so she was walking home very despondent and she walked past the Bismedish. Yeshiva. And the Rosh Yeshiva was also the love of the town. So she went into him to pour her heart out and to tell him about her plight. And as they're standing and talking and she's crying and he's telling her, I have no answer for you, I'm sorry. As they're talking, this fellow comes in and says, Rabbi, huh? there's only one there? Yeah. Uh-oh. Yes, Rabbi, two men come in, we have these gold coins, we want to donate it to the yeshiva. We want to donate it to yeshiva. And the rabbi says, What is this? Who are you? Where are you coming from? And they explained, we were at sea, mm-hmm. and our ship hit a rock. Our ship hit a rock, and it bore a hole in the ship, and we were about to sink. And everyone on the ship was on their way to death. Suddenly, something smacked into the boat and stuffed the hole. It stuffed the hole so that we were literally saved. And we came to shore. And we said, Rabbi Nishtan, if you save us from drowning, we'll give these gold coins to charity. To the first yeshiva that we come to when we got out of the boat we looked and we saw 
a very interesting item stuffed the hole apparently it was a sack of flour one day but because it was in the water it turned into a dough and it was solid enough to stuff the hole that was in the ship Rabbi told to the woman Sesta, you see, mitzvah gereres mitzvah. One mitzvah causes another. And all, because of your mitzvah tzedakah, you manage to save who knows how many people on this ship. I don't know if he gave her any of the gold coins. Bottom line is that she saved all these people. Thank you. We turn to the Pasha and we hear Yaakov marries Leah and says, Hey, Leah? I wanted to marry Rachel. So he brokers another deal and marries Rachel. Now we know, as we said before, that the Oves Umakayim, the Teira, Kola Teira Kula, Nitna. They kept all the mitzvahs. How did he marry two sisters? How could he have married two sisters? It says, A woman and a sister you may not marry. There are many different explanations to this. One I think we once said was because they converted. Because they weren't Jewish and they were, became Gatim. And because they were Gatim, they were no longer related to each other. That's a makeshift answer. But it's one brought down by Mepharshim. One of the Pshatim that the Mepharshim tell us that yes, they had to keep mitzvahs before Matan only the Sheva mitzvahs did they have to actually physically keep. So if they happen to go through one of these mitzvahs of the Teda, the Sheva mitzvahs they had actually as law. But the rest wasn't law. It's all a hither, a khumra, an enhancement, a stringency. But according to the actual law, they were potter. More than that, the dinim <coughs> and the boundaries that they accepted upon themselves as b'nei nayach from them themselves that in its own right those were actually according to the din like we find that Yaakov ultimately got punished for not keeping the mitzvah of Kibbutz even though it's not one of the seven mitzvahs but because he was away from his father for so many years Yosef was separated from him for the same amount of years. If that's the case, the obligations they took upon themselves, B'nai Nayak itself, since they were actually culpable for these things according to Din, then these were even more stringent than the mitzvahs of the Tata that they accepted upon themselves but only several choice mitzvahs. So we know that before Matan Teda they accepted upon themselves to be very careful not to lie. Not to deceive a fellow person. Deceiving was not a nice thing. And we find that Yaakov comes to Laman and says, V'lomar emitsani, 
Why did you deceive me? Now, if there was nothing wrong with it, why would he why would he call him out on it? So obviously this is not acceptable. A person could not deceive another person. And therefore in this case where Lovan deceives Yaakov this is what he has to take him to task over. And deceit, therefore, for one of our forefathers to deceive someone, they would be culpable for it as well. So since Yaakov promised Rachel that he was going to marry her, so much so he gave her these special signs to make sure that she's the one. By not marrying her, he would be culpable of the prohibition of deceiving Which, even though not part of the seven mitzvahs, but this was now an unwritten law, and it was a very terrible sin, and therefore he said that this will even it's so bad that it overrides isha Deceiving somebody was worse than the actual love of the Tata of not marrying a sister, two sisters. But also we know they married the Shifchis, Bil and Zilpa, who ultimately were also daughters of Lavan. Rashi explains even the Bil and Zilpa were from another wife, from a Pelegish, concubine. And Yaakov says to Esau later that in Lovan Garti, Vitayag Mitzvah Shomarti, he says, I lived with Lovan in Vayishlach. When he meets Esav, he said, I lived there with love, and he used the word Garti, which is the letters of Taryag. So he kept the mitzvahs. So now he married four sisters. So he said already, Leia and then marrying Rachel, we understand. But Bill and Zilpah? <laughs> Where does loophole come? According to Pshat, in a short version at least, the din is Mashakan Evid Khanarabi. Whatever a servant owns or takes right over, whatever they um Get take ownership of their master gets since the evidence himself, the servant itself belongs to the master therefore he cannot have any property that belongs to him, everything automatically belongs to the master because his essence belongs to his master even more so the Evid is referred to in the Torah as Kaspoi, his own money. As if the person's money. So the essence of the Evid is only the fact that he is a property of his master. So since 
the gather, the boundary of a servant falls into rechush, property, kesef adin. So it's not possible to call it as a yelled, a child, or family, or parents, or brother, or sister, to anybody. So it's therefore nothing else nothing else comes into the concept of Evid. Because Evid is only, as you said, the Rechush, Kesef. And therefore, when Billah has a child, Rachel says, Yitin li, Ben. She got a son. She begot a son. I'm sorry. She didn't got it. You don't got a baby. <laughs> How is it possible? What is the connection to her? Because Billah was her shifcha. And therefore the children belong to Rachel. Ah, now we understand. Bill and Zilpa were shvachis. They were, they were servants, maidservants. So they had no family lineage. Not their father, not their mother, nothing. Not even between themselves. Their whole concept was they were only money of, of loved ones, properties, which ultimately became Rachel and Leah's property. And therefore they were not considered sisters. And Yaakov was able to marry them. Oops, we better move. In that place, says Rashi, that he rested, he lied down after 14 years I haven't rested, working as a slave for Lavan. I never lied down. Now all of a sudden he lies down. The Farshim asks, In the place where the Besamit is going to be built, that's where he chose to finally lie down? But Yaakov himself did not know. He was not aware. And he says, I didn't know that this was so holy. But we still don't understand. Why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu set him up like this? That this is where he should sleep. He doesn't go to bed for 14 years and this is where he should fall asleep. So according to previous, in a person there's two chalakim. There's two parts. The upper part, which comes in the head and the heart, and the bottom part, the feet, etc. Spiritually, the upper part, the person, is his essence, his spiritual essence. And the lower part is the physical. So when a person standing, there's a difference between a person standing and a person sitting, or lying down. When he's standing, when he's sitting, you can know this is the upper part, this is the lower part of the body. When he's lying down and sleeping, it's all straight. There's no upper and lower because everything is one, it's a flat plane. So, although with Pashtas, that the Elyon and the Takhtan, the above and the below, are equal, even keel. It shows even a worse status of the person. Now his head is not even greater than his body, than his feet. But Bepnimius, it has a greater thing. For HaKadosh Baruch Hu rises up above all boundaries, all Gedarim, the concepts of above and below. For HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't exist, it's all the same. Therefore, we see that the revelation of Akadosh Baruch Hu Atzmai, when the above and the below are equal. According to this, now we understand that he falls asleep in this holy place, because only in this holy place, in this position, did he bring about the completion of Ayishkov, 
therefore the completion of Lamaila and Lamata being together, and may we merit to see all the Kedusha coming back down, Lamata in this world, and we merit to Mashiach Tzimkenu this Shabbos Shabbat Shalom to all.